I'm going to admit to you today that I am a sexist. By maybe not fully today's definition, but if this is what, if this is what makes me a sexist, then I'm going to admit it today. I believe in created distinctions in the sexes. I do. Despite the non-binary generation, I believe God has created distinction in the sexes, and he has defined roles in marriage, in the church, and even in society. Peter said in his epistle that we are to honor women. Did you know that? 1 Peter chapter 3, speaking to husbands, but in the original language, the word woman there, or wife, is actually woman. And so, so it's, it, it applies to both married and unmarried. And it says we're to honor women, and listen to this, and I know this will get you kicked out of a progressive church today, as the weaker vessel. Meaning, listen to this, that you do not, lady, ma'am, you do not have to be as physically strong or as emotionally strong or as supposedly successful to be brought to a place of esteem and honor. I personally, I have a lot of ladies in my family, in my, in my immediate family, and uh, uh, that growing, a growing number of ladies. And, and I pray that I can show them honor and love them. I have ladies that Paul has specifically told me as a minister through Timothy. He said, you treat the older women as your mama. So when Joe speaks about how we've got many, we do, we believe that. We have many women that are our mothers. And then he said, you treat the younger women as your sisters. So we honor and we esteem you highly for not just what you do. Yes, yes, thank God for all that you do. But just for who you are, just for that creative purpose in your life. I want to speak to the ladies again. Uh, 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 there's a challenge. It's a challenge. I mean, uh, and I'm saying this from one outside, watching from afar, is that it's a challenge for you being a godly woman distinguished by a genuine faith in God and commitment to Christ in this distorted generation in which we live today. And I'm telling you what, this challenge is going to be magnified in the days ahead culturally as what's about to take place through the Supreme Court. And I'm not going to preach about that today, but ladies, you better get ready. You better get ready because I'm telling you, the, the, the heat ain't turned on yet. It's about to get turned on. And so many women feel extreme pressure. They feel extreme pressure uh, to be, dis- that the women that are distinguished by this genuine fe- faith in God, they feel uh, extreme pressure to measure up to this distorted image of womanhood. They try often in futility to be a progressive woman of the modern culture, rather than, listen to this, a daughter of Abraham, whom Peter said, you are, as long as you're doing well, as long as you're believing, as long as you identify with this by faith. And Peter said this, that he's the one that said that we should honor you as the weaker vessel. Listen to this, and God is okay with that. You don't have to equate yourself physically or emotionally or successfully as what the world standard is in order for you to be held in high esteem in the eyes of God and in the eyes of others that truly understand the biblical record and the biblical teaching. So I want to speak today again. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been around, I mean, solid women of faith, women of God that are, I mean, they are pillars in the house of God. They, they can get a hold of God and they can trust the Lord and they have, they're warriors in the spirit. 
But, but the reality is, as many that come to church, especially on a day like today, uh, sometimes there's some wounded folks among us, especially some wounded ladies, some hurting women. And many women, including those among us, have, have suffered much sorrow of heart, much hurt and tragedy, pain and loss, often, often suffering abuse and neglect from those who should have honored you. You, know, you can drive through any metropolitan area and even in small rural areas, and you will find that the world is filled with shattered women's houses, abused women's homes, women drug rehabs, women counseling, special counseling and therapy, clinics for physical, mental, and emotional trauma. I mean, it's stating the obvious again, but, but women have been traumatized at times. And, and what makes it even more difficult sometimes, it's happened at the hands of those that should have shown them honor, cutting that wound even deeper. You know, your image, your physical appearance to some doesn't measure up to the Vogue generation. Your expectation uh, that your spouse maybe has abandoned you, or some are widowed here under the sound of my voice, and every day you feel, and I know as a pastor, I've talked with many, and I've seen that pain. I, I was on the phone with one this week that, that she wept as we talked because we, we talked about the relationship. 68 years, and now her spouse is gone. How many know that's hard to replace? You don't replace that, obviously, but, but simply meaning to you feel uh, totally different. The world has changed. It's upside down to you in that moment. For some ladies, you've searched for love, and you're still searching, but some search in all the wrong places. And to each of you, I want to reaffirm my belief. What you need is a man in your life. I want to show you through the scriptures. Y'all didn't get a single amen on that one. That's all right. The men were too afraid. And the ladies are still going, where is he going? Some of you think, think you know where I'm going. You might, but you might not. I've been known to throw you a curveball along the way. I want to show you through the scriptures something today, okay? I want to show you something that I'm going to believe that it's, it's going to help identify with and relate to women who, are, who have struggled until, until, think about the title, they struggled, they were going through difficult hardship until, and as we do so, we're going to go to the record of the Word of God. Let me share with you again about the Word, and I just got my little Bible here today. I want to remind you that God has chosen, He has revealed Himself through the Word, right? He's even identified Himself that as His name in one sense. His name is called the Word of God, Revelation 19. And so you say, I want to know about God. Well, the, the image and the revelation we have of God is through the Word of God. And so, and you search the Word, you'll find that God's chosen to reveal Himself. Listen through this right here. Spiritual principles come through narrative, biblical stories. Scriptural principles come through doctrine, just plain teaching. But you've heard me reference what's called types and shadows previously. What a type and shadow is, is because we have an old and a new covenant. What we have is we have picture images in the old covenant that were they, they, they were obscure, but now that we are in the New Testament, we can look back and we can see revelation. And with this, we have an image that was it's almost like a painter that was painting, a painter's brush uh, that was painting an image for us to see. And, 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 and only through the lens of the New Covenant do we see it more clearly. And so that's types and antitypes. That's what I want to talk to you about for just a moment. And if you'll allow me to do so, and if you'll join your faith with mine, and if you'll journey with me as we follow the trail of a couple of ladies, I believe that you'll understand that, ladies, what you need is a man in your life. So I want to tell you a little bit about a notable woman. And when I say this, a notable woman in Scripture. A notable woman in Scripture who suffered much, much sorrow, pain. And, uh, and it seems as if uh, her perception of God 
has been altered. I want to put a verse of scripture on. This is my first scripture here. Psalm 118, verse number one says this. It says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. I can say this today. Did you know that? I can say this because he is good and his mercy endureth forever. That word mercy there is his kindness. Some even say his loving kindness. But I want to show you here in a moment of time through the experience of a woman who found herself at a place in her life when I don't, she, she literally couldn't say that. Her trauma had become so great that she could not even utter those words. Her family had moved. It was, a, it, was a, it was a very difficult time in the community in which she was living. A recession had taken place because of a, um, it was an agricultural community, and uh, there had been a lack of rain. Anytime there was a lack of rain, there was a lack of bread. People were scrambling to know what to do, and her and her husband just loaded up, brought their two sons with them, and said, we're going to move. We're going we're to move to a different city, and so in doing so, they moved outside the borders of the land of Israel to an adjacent community that's now in modern-day Jordan. It's in the southeast corner across the Jordan River known as Moab. And there they got a house, and there uh, the husband went to work, and the boys began to grow, and, and pr- they, I'm sure they felt justified. We, we, we got out uh, just at the right time. It was kind of odd. The city that they had, the little village that they had moved from, we call it a city, but the, they, they tell us that there was only between 300 and 1,000 people dwelling in that city or village at that particular time. That particular village was called the House of Bread, but because of the famine, there was no bread. And so they moved to this other land, again, the land of Moab, and took up residence, went to work, got a job. But then, you know, how many of you know that tragedy can find you anywhere at times? And tragedy struck, and the woman lost her husband. And and so it's painful to, to lose your husband when you're amongst family and friends. It's even magnified when you're away from any support system whatsoever. So she's lost her husband, and then, but she's still got her two sons at least. So she's still got her sons, and they get to be working age, and they're providing for mom. And then they take of them wives. They find wives. They marry a couple of, of young ladies there uh, of, the, of the Moabites. And, uh, and so life seems to be maybe improving, getting a little bit better. They're honoring the mother. And then tragedy strikes, like lightning striking twice in the same location, This woman that we don't know the space of time from when she has gone through the trauma of losing her husband now loses her own two sons. The Bible doesn't tell us how it took place. We don't know whether it was an accident. We don't know whether they were ushered into warfare and they fought for an army that they weren't, uh, you know, native to. But whatever the case, we find the biblical record is is that this one woman that uh, had a, a husband and two sons now has no husband and no sons, has two daughter-in-laws. And she's in despair. She doesn't have any resources. She's grown to the point, uh, you know, where, where, where she's too old to go to work, and, and there's, no, uh, there's no Social Security in any capacity such as this. So she makes a decision. She's going to make the 50-mile journey back to where she came from. And so she calls her two daughters out, and she tells them. And she explains her grief. We're going to read in a few moments a little bit of her grief. But... She explains to them the sorrow because she feels like she's afflicted by God. I'm going to get there in just a moment. And she tells her daughter-in-laws, and she says, Listen, don't follow me. Don't go with me because there's no more sons in my womb. You go back to your family. Go back to your family. I'm going to return to my family. The Bible is very plain. It says one of them heeded her words 
kissed her, and went back to her family, even to her own gods, because she had had some measure of revelation of the one true God, but in transitioning back to her family, she goes back to their gods, their deities, which was the ancient pagan deity of Shemosh. But the other one, the other one, there was something, there was something divine. She had a love in her heart for a mother-in-law that had to come only from God. How many know God is love? And even when you're at your loneliest place in life, I want you to know there's somebody. God is always the God of all love, the God of all grace. Love comes from him. We wouldn't know love apart from God. We'll make sure that there's somebody, somebody who comes alongside to help and to heed, to help you with your, with your trauma. And so she refuses, and she even makes a profession of faith. It's a beautiful profession of faith. And she looks at her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law's name, as many of you already know where I'm going, is Naomi. And the young lady's name is Ruth. And Ruth says to Naomi, she says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And I wondered as I thought about that deeper, what, what was it? Certainly it was the compelling power of the love of God for the sake of Naomi that she would journey with her back to the land of her nativity, Bethlehem. But is it possible that this woman, she too is a widow, often overlooked. Ruth is a widow just like Naomi. And perhaps her family, maybe there was something in her that she didn't want to go back to her family. The people of the Moabites worship Shemosh and they practice oftentimes child sacrifice. And she, perhaps she, she didn't want to go back to that because she had come to understand the nature of this God that she found out was called Yahweh. Whatever the case, the Bible says that she clung to her. And finally, Ruth, Naomi says, you, you do whatever you want to do. And so they make about a seven to ten day journey. They journey back to Bethlehem because it's the house of bread. God has heard the cries of his people and there's bread in Bethlehem again. Once she arrives there, there's, it's almost like, now remember, when you read that, the Bible uses the word city, King James English, but... The city is a small village, 300, 500, 700 people. Everybody knew, everybody knew many years ago when Naomi left. Maybe Naomi and her husband had been arrogant when they left. Maybe they mocked from their cart as they were, as they were leaving the village and said, you know, why are you staying? We're going, we're going, we've got adventure. I don't know, but the Bible says that all the city was moved when she came back because she looked nothing like the woman that left. She's a shell of herself. She's a broken woman. She's a hurting woman. She's a wounded woman. I could have entitled the message today, A Wounded. We've got wounded warriors. We can have wounded women. Come on, somebody. And she comes back. And this, we're going to put it on the scripture. She reveals, listen, she reveals through her confession her perception of God. And I'm afraid that some here may have a similar perception today. There's four verses I'm going to just throw up on the, uh, the screen. Through. Angie's going to help me. Chapter 1, verse 13, this is what she told her daughter-in-laws prior to going back. She said, look at the latter por portion of it. She says, it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That was her perception of the omnipotent God, that that omnipotent God had moved his hand not to bless her but to go out against her. And then when all the village comes out, the village of Bethlehem comes out to her, she just gets transparent. There is no wondering what's in her, her heart. Ch uh, chapter 1, verse number 20, here's what she said. She said, don't call me. She wanted a name change. See, the name Naomi in the original language means pleasantness. She said, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara. Mara means bitterness because that's a reflection of her heart. 
And she said, the Almighty, she, doesn't, she believes that everything that's happened didn't happen by chance. She believed that God, the sovereign God, was moving his hand against her. He's dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21, we read it. I went out full, this is her profession, but the Lord's brought me home empty. And when you call me, don't, and she says, so don't call me Naomi because I'm no longer full. But look at this. She says, the Lord, that there in the King James would be the Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah or Yahweh has testified against me. And that Almighty is the Shaddai, the Shaddai, the Almighty God, the name that Abraham called God. The Shaddai, the Almighty God has afflicted me. So listen to this real quickly. I'm going to tell you, it's a tough place uh, in, in this it, when, when you are wounded. It's one thing to have weakened faith. It's one thing to say, man, I'm under trial, I'm under persecution, and my faith is weak. That's one thing. It's another thing altogether to have wounded faith. I'm telling you because, listen, it is very, very difficult to minister to someone and to convince someone that God is good when they've experienced recent tragedy. See, Naomi believes in God Almighty. She believes in the sovereignty of God. And she believes that all things that have happened are of the Lord, good or bad. And the sorrow that she's experienced, she believes, is the result of this omnipotent God choosing her to pour out affliction upon her. How could she sing the psalm, for the Lord is good, and his mercy endureth forever, when in the last ten years all she's known is trauma. You know what, I think that's consistent with people that I've dealt with. People that I have helped go through the valley of the shadow of death. Oftentimes their perception of God is not based upon his consistent revelation or his historical precedent or doctrine, but it's rather their personal experience. Here's the thought that if you've ever experienced trauma, and I know, male or female, there are many under the sound of my voice, you've experienced trauma. And I know what's coming to your mind, and you've often thought this. If God is good, how can he allow me to hurt so badly? Quiet. How can I, if God loves me, how can he allow others to treat me so violently, treat me so perversely, or even so hatefully? Wounded faith, wounded women. What you need is a man in your life. Many women have been hurt and wounded, deceived by their own emotions or falsehoods and lies of others. How many of you know, ladies, let me tell you, you have an enemy of your soul. You just need to know that right now today. There is an enemy of your soul who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he is no respecter of persons. If Peter said you're weak, that doesn't mean anything to the enemy. He sees you as easier prey. And so the, what I've learned in life is that patterns of healthy living can be broken very early in life, very, very early. And people arrive to adulthood, and they don't even know how to live and function. Dysfunction doesn't start overnight. Right, it starts, and you live in it, and then you acclimate to it, and you think this is the way you're supposed to live, and this is the way that you should perceive others, and I'm telling you, what we've got to do is we need a giant reset. We've got to go back and find out and learn of some things and learn of the heart of God. I've discovered that many young girls have been abused sexually as a child or a teenager, and it's often set a perverted pattern of sexuality in their life, and as a result, their perception of God may be akin to Naomi's. They believe in God. But they believe God to be the source of their pain, their sorrow, and their struggle. If this can help anybody at all, I want you to know the same author that penned Psalm 118, 
Verse number one that said, The Lord, he is good, and his mercy endures forever. At a traumatic place in his life said this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that's the, that's the challenge of the human heart. That's the challenge of the brokenness of this life. Is to know that there's a sovereign God, but the enemy comes in and plants thoughts in our mind that says, but why is he picking on me? It's a tough place to be. If I could say anything to you at all that I, I know to be true here today, I want you to hear this. It's going to challenge your perception of God. And it may even hurt just a little bit to hear this because we get adapted, we get acclimated to our own doctrinal preferences. We get some measure of justification of saying, my hurt is caused by God. I want you to hear this today. Your plight, your hurt, your tragedy, your sorrow, as difficult as it is. And let me tell you this. If, if, if some of the things in my mind when I think about people hurting, I don't want to any way say I can identify with you. I'm not, there, I'm not trying to say but I want you to hear what I'm saying. And I believe that I'm speaking for the Lord today. I want you to know that your hurt, your tragedy, your sorrow, as difficult as it is, it does not change who God is and how he has chosen to reveal himself. God is good, and his mercy endureth forever, his loving kindness towards you. The issue is, perhaps you've not seen him through the correct lens. Perhaps you've seen him only through your own perception of your, of your, uh, of your tragedy or your situation. You've not had a clear revelation of him. Our perception of God is obscure. We see God through our tragedy or trial. Naomi did. Or we oftentimes find it through the testimony or limited revelation of someone, uh, uh, someone's understanding of the word. Let me mention the word. Now let me say that again. So we have a perception of God based upon our experience. And we form a doctrine inside us that may not be consistent biblically. But then we have others that have a biblical perception. They study the word, but they have a, they, they, they're off course just a little bit. And that's a doctrine and they share it and that gets in our heart. And then we too still are confused. But I, I'm telling you, I want you to know we need the word of God. Because I believe in revelation is progressive god is always revealing himself right god's always revealing himself in the in the in the law there was a measure of god's revel, revelation in the prophets there was a measure of god's revelation in the psalms there was a measure of god's revelation in the gospels there was a measure of god's revelation in the epistles there's a measure of god's revelation naomi at that time she doesn't have the psalm psalm 118 it's not been written yet she doesn't to counterbalance the trauma that she's going through all she has is the Mosaic law. But th there was a promise in the law, though, that I know she knew because it's come, become, made aware to us here in just a few minutes. But, but how many know that your, your sorrow can suppress that? Suppress it until you can't see anything good because this perception has been so skewered. I, I want to tell you a little bit more about this story for just a moment. The, the story that I'm talking about, we've been talking about Naomi. It's not recorded in the book of Naomi because there's not a book of Naomi. It's the book of Ruth. And so, real quickly, Ruth, this young Moabitess, widow. Let me say that one more time. She's young, and she didn't have the, the trauma quite as to the depth that Naomi did, but she too suffered. She lost her husband at a young age. And, and she has a recent profession of faith in Christ, and she has an allegiance to Naomi, and she suffered tragedy. And the natural, she has every reason to be bitter against God, but she's got a young, vibrant faith in God. And, and she, she promises, despite her pain, her allegiance to Naomi and to her people and to her God. 
And there's a critical moment in the story that's going to begin to unfold for us today. I've got to just share with you for a few moments before I transition this message. So they make their way back to, to, to Bethlehem, and they somehow secure a house. I don't know, maybe they had just a little bit of resources. Maybe it was the kinfolk that had a little building that they were allowing them to stay. The Bible doesn't tell us. But under the Mosaic law, God in his love for his people, if you were impoverished, you always had an, a, an ability to feed yourself. Because God said to the reapers in the field, always leave the corners. Always leave the corners so that people could come in behind you and glean. And then he also told those, he said, if you're reaping and you're cutting the sheaves and, and you're, and you're bun, tying them in bundles and you happen to drop some, you cannot, according to the Mosaic law, go back and pick it up. Once it hits the ground, you leave it there because God was going to leave it for the poor. And so one thing I've always loved about Ruth is Ruth doesn't just sit back and wait for a government check. Did I say that? I didn't mean to say that on Sunday. Can you omit that? Take that out, Jace. I didn't mean to. She doesn't sit back. She picks herself up, and she said, okay, she's not opposed to benevolence. We should never be opposed to benevolence, but we should always be willing to do our part. Right? And she's willing to do her part. And she gets it. Now, Naomi's a little too old. She can't go out in the heat of the day. So here's this young lady. She goes out. She doesn't know where to go. And, and, but here's the thing. How many of you know sometimes God is directing your steps even when you don't know it? Because he is almighty God. He's the sovereign God. And he's manipulating the situation even when you don't know he's manipulating it for your good. Oh, we get, we, get, we get caught in just seeing it when it's traumatized. And we think, well, that's the only time God is moving the kings and the pawns on this chessboard if we call life. But I'm telling you, God will move it because he will work all things together for good to those that love the Lord. And, and she didn't know it, but I love this verse of Scripture. It's in chapter 2, verse number 3. Look at it. King James English. I love this. In the verse number 3 here, it says, And she went and came and gleaned in the field at the reapers, and her hap. If you don't you'll read that too quickly, her hap, perchance. She thought, well, I don't know where to go. Field one, field two, I'm just going to. She didn't know that God was... She was trying to go to field two, but God said, I'm going to move you right here. Something steered her hap. She happened to go into a field belonging to a man named Boaz. Powerful verse of scripture. Ladies, you need a man in your life. It's not by accident. So throughout the course of the day, it's a very eventful day. She goes to work. She rolls herself, you know, her sleeves up. She's got her little, what do they call those things? They tie their hair up in their, I don't know. I'm not even saying that. I'm saying, I will not say scrungy from the platform in any in that context i see her with some type of hair she's all she's got her all wrapped up there she's working she's she's physical she's going out she's picking up she's gleaning and then the owner of the field just happens to come by and he says shalom and he peace and the workers his hired hands holler yell back at him shalom and as he's walking he's looking like single men do not married men Thank you, thank you, somebody. Amen. He's looking, and, and, he, and he, sa he says, who's, who's the young girl? Who's the, I haven't seen her before. And they said, well, that's Ruth. She's come back with Naomi. And, and so he goes and he talks to her, and he speaks very kindly to her. And I tell you, that was the first time in a long time that a man had spoken kindly to Ruth. And Ruth is moved by it. And, 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 and Boaz speaks to her and, and he promises something, and, and he promises uh, that, that, that God has seen. And, and, and so her day is very eventful, and he says to her, he said, Look, I've told the men, the young men, don't you touch her. He protected her. Thank God. We heard a word a while ago, a protector. 
He, he said, I've told the young men, don't touch you. He said, when it's lunchtime, I want you to don't eat by yourself. Come on up in the house. Get out of the sun. Get some shade. He said, you can eat with us. And she did. And you know what? I love this. I can't preach it right here today. But when she was eating this impoverished woman, she ate just enough parched grain to give her enough strength to go back in the field. And she took what they gave her, and she tucked a little bit of a way to take back to Naomi. It's a powerful story. And then Boaz tells his reapers, he said, look, leave some in the field on her behalf. I'm telling you, wounded woman, today, let me tell you today, God's left you some things even when you didn't know it. You thought it was somebody that did it. It was God who is always good and always kind, leaving you something in the field just to remind you of his mercy that endures for a thousand generations. And so the narrative goes down very quickly that later in the course of the day, and for the sake of time, I'm going to begin to expedite this very quickly. So Boaz speaks over her a prophetic word. I think I'll put that on the screen if I didn't. It's chapter 2, verse number 12. Here's what he said to Ruth. And she doesn't even know it, but something awakens on the inside of her. And ladies, I hope that's you today. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. That prophetic word then empowers her. She finishes the course of her day's activities. And then she makes her way back to the village, the walled city of, of, of Bethlehem. And there she greets her mother-in-law, Naomi. And the Bible says the first thing that she does is she gives Naomi some of what she saved for. The leftovers, the little bag that she put, the, the doggy bag we call it. She had put it in the bag and she gave it to Naomi. That tells you how impoverished they are. Naomi begins to, to eat it, and I can just see this conversation happening in my mind, as I've said so often in the theater of my mind. These two women are sharing the events of the days. Naomi's day has not been that eventful. She's just kind of trying to keep their little place tidied up. But Ruth is very eventful, and she's talking, and she's sharing about who she worked amongst and how she went to lunch and how she met the, the owner of the field. And Naomi is eating her little bit of grain, and she's thinking, and the, the ladies are talking. And ladies, you know, can multitask and do multiple things at the same time. And she's, uh-huh, and she's eating, and perhaps she's even looking at all she gleaned. And she says, wow, that's a lot you gleaned in one day. And maybe she's got a little bowl, and she's, she's scooping out a little bit more. And, and she said, and by the way, tell me, who was the, who was the owner of the field? that you were gleaning from and she said oh yeah by the way his name was Boaz and when that name Boaz sounded in her ears it awakened a revelation of the spirit of God because immediately she knew who he was he was a mighty man of wealth but he wasn't just a mighty man of wealth he was her kinfolk and going beyond her kinfolk he was a near kinsman. And in the original language, that word near kinsman, the 20th verse, I believe it is, there says, is that in the original language, it says kinsman redeemer. Because remember this, remember the promise that I told you that Naomi probably knew, but she had forgotten about, is that God in the Mosaic law had made allowance where if you fell impoverished, you sold your land, sold your fields, that one of your kinsmen could come at the right time and right place and purchase it back and redeem you and put you back on solid footing. And in that moment of time, just the mention of his, ladies, you need a man in your life. Just the mention of Boaz's name brought revelation to her that God is still the God of all mercy. And look what she said. 
I believe it's the 21st verse. I think, well, no, maybe I didn't put that there. Is that she said, God has not, there it is, the 20th verse. Blessed is he of the Lord. Now, the one that said he's testified against me, the one that said he's afflicted me, the one that said his hand has gone out against me has not left off his kindness to the living and the dead. Everything began to change. I'm telling you, that's when you begin to move past your hurt, past your wound, past your sorrow, past your tragedy, when you realize that the God of all grace, His hand is not against you, He loves you, and He has not forgotten you despite your pain, sorrow, and your plight. When you have that revelation that God loves you. You're not here by accident today. You're not, listen, let me tell you today, ma'am, you're not here by accident. It's no accident that I'm preaching this kind of message today. It's no accident that I'm a Friday morning studier, but went Thursday night, something in my spirit. I, I, I got alone. I went into my office because I knew this moment was going to be heavy. I knew I was going to have an opportunity. I knew God was speaking to my heart. And I knew the ladies need to hear this word. Ladies, you need a man in your life. Hmm. Where are we going with this today? And so listen, as this story unfolds, it's a powerful story. I can't preach it. It's the third and the fourth chapter. But you know, after a period of time, a period of time, Naomi said, you know what, we can make, uh, uh, if, if God's in this, this thing can come to pass. It, you got to go back and read it. You know how that Naomi sent Ruth down to the threshing floor when women weren't supposed to come to the threshing floor. And Ruth goes down there. She's cleaned up, washed up. She's looking good, smelling good. And she is attired in a way to be attractive to him. And so he's asleep. He's eating and drunken. And he's asleep at the, at the bottom of the winnowed uh, wheat or barley. And she's, he's there asleep. Uh, and she lays down quietly at his feet. Uh, and, and finally in the night, she, she, he pulls over the blanket. And when he does, he stumbles and bumps into her. And you know, you're talking about a shatakai. And we'll see a moment. And there's a woman laying at his feet. And he's like, whoa, what are you doing here? Trying to be quiet because women aren't supposed to be on the threshing floor. And Ruth said, hey, I'm your kinsman. I'm your near kinsman. Would you just spread your garment over me? And he knew exactly what that meant. He meant, would you choose me to be your bride? Did you know Jewish history tells us Boaz is not married? A wealthy man is not married at this time. And he said, I will. And she said, will you try to redeem Naomi and me? And he said, I will, but there's somebody in between us. There's another one. He's already checked it out. He's already, God's already put it in his heart. And he said, but I'll do, I'll do my very best. They got up in the morning. He sent her back to the village, gave her lots of grain to bring to her mother-in-law. And then when Naomi heard what took place, Naomi said, this man will not rest. I love that. My preacher's about to come on me right there because he said, this man, she said, this man is not going to rest until he finishes it, until, it's, until he can close his eyes and pillow it and say, it is finished. He's not going to rest. And I want you to know, oh, I'm about to get ahead of myself, Boaz wouldn't rest until he negotiated for the right to marry Ruth and redeem Naomi. And when he did, the end of the book says this, he married her, redeemed Naomi, he went in unto his wife, God gave her conception, and she, gave, she bore a child, and they took the child, and they set it in Naomi's lap, and the women gathered around her, the women that said, who is this? Who are you? You don't look like anybody that left, and you're a broken woman. The woman, the women, those same women put that baby in, in Naomi's lap. It's very possible. Did you know that her breast, her paps leaked back alive because the Bible says she became nurse to it. And they didn't call the baby the son of Ruth. They said, Unto Naomi, a son is born. Because let me tell you, God in his redemptive process is more than just about forgiveness of indebtedness. He's about restoration. I'm telling you, lady, today your hurt can be healed. 
your wound can be made right. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. Why do you keep telling me that I need a man in my life? It's because Scripture is painting a picture for you. That picture image in the book of Ruth, it's four chapters. It's one of the smallest books in all the Bible. Is a picture. The star of the show is not Naomi. The star of the show is not Ruth. And the star of the show is not Boaz. It's because they are representing something else. And Ruth represents one thing. Naomi represents a broken woman. But Boaz represents the man that you need in your life. A man, listen to me, a man that when others have hurt you and wounded you and spoken harshly to you, there is a man that has compassion in his voice. He has strength in his name. He has love in his heart. And he has affection in his touch. A man called Jesus. Ladies, I want you to know today, that's the man. Not just any man that you need, but the man. That's who you need in your life. Because I want you to know the man Jesus. If you're an orphan, he's your father. If you're a widow, he's your husbandman. If you're lost, I want you to know today, he's searching for you. He's got his eye on the horizon. He's searching for you, waiting for you. If you're hurting, he's your healing. If you're broken, he's your maker. If you're lonely, I'll tell you, he'll be your friend. If you're wounded or bruised, he'll be your comfort. If you're distraught, he's your peace today. If you've sinned, and we've all sinned, and in bitterness you can easily sin, he is your forgiveness. If you are bitter today, he's your joy. And if you're hopeless, he is your hope. I want to restate my title. Ladies, with all my heart, I want to say this to you. You need a man in your life. But not just any man. But there is a man that cares for you so rich. You say, the man, why would you call him the man? Because the apostle Paul said, there is one God. How many believe that today? The God that Naomi was troubled by. The reason why she was troubled, she didn't have a clear revelation of his love. And so the, 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 the Mosaic law gave, gave us a small measure of the image of God. But how many know the brightness of the glory of God, the express image of the person of God came in the person of Jesus Christ. And so with that today, I want you to know that with the revelation that God loves you through Jesus. Paul said there is one God and one mediator between God and man. He is the man Christ Jesus. I say it with the clearest of conviction, ladies, you need a man in your life. God brought you to this house on Mother's Day for this pastor to tell you that there is, a, there is one who's seen you in your sorrow. Don't think for a moment that those tears that you have wept in private and in public have gone unnoticed to his eye. Don't think for a moment that that hurt that you've shared with no one, even your secret sisters, that he's not acutely aware of that pain that you're in right now. Let me say it again. You need a man in your life. One who sees you, takes notice of you, and even in your sorrow, he's left blessing for you to remind you of God's love. Hmm. Let me tell you about Jesus. Did you know what? He went outside the gate like Boaz. And on a tree, on a hill called Calvary, a mountain called Golgotha, there he negotiated for the right, because he would not rest till it was finished. 
And he went through trauma, sorrow, struggle, pierced and broken so that he could find you in your hurt, your pain, your sorrow and wound. And he would be able to minister the loving kindness of God to you. Ladies, you need a man in your life today. Scripture records, as I get ready to close, a number of women, a number of women who met this man. Have you met him? Some among us have. <laughs> there are women under the sound of my voice. Your life was radically changed when the man came into your life. You were broken, hurting, and wounded. You had been abused and left in shame until you met the one that could take away the shame, could take away the sorrow, and lift you and make you whole. Did you know the Bible tells us that there was a, a sinner woman who sat at his feet and she found grace and forgiveness for even when the pious and religious despised her? Scripture tells us that there was a woman who had seven devils. Can you imagine seven devils? What kind of medication do you give to someone who's got seven devils? She's cutting herself. She's, banging, she, she's hiding her head under the pillow at night. She's so hurting and broken. What traumatized her in her past? Who hurt her? Who wounded her to allow seven devils to come in? But the moment she heard his name, the moment she heard his name, demons had to leave. And they'll leave from you too if you'll draw clear, close to him. Many women have been healed of devils and infirmities. Peter's mother-in-law was healed of a fever. A woman with an issue of blood was made clean. A young girl was brought out of the darkness of the grave. A woman by the well found his grace and mercy. And this is my text. Here's my one verse. It's my true scripture text. It's in John 4 and 29. I'm closing with this verse here as a second. Here's what she said when she met him. She ran back to her village and she said, I finally found the man. That woman had had five husbands and was shacking up with somebody right then. But she finally found the right one that changed everything about her life, and so will your life too. Once you have the right one, come on, somebody. Praise the Lord. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting, though y'all aren't doing too bad. I won't give y'all A plus, I'll give y'all B minus. A Gentile woman saw her daughter in law healed, her daughter healed by his word. There was a woman caught in the act of adultery, shamed, condemned to die, but she was rescued and redeemed by the man who refused to condemn her. Ma'am, he won't condemn you either if you'll come to him broken, hurting and wounded, but sincere. He'll save, heal, and deliver. Glory to God. Daryl, if you don't mind, I say it so tongue-in-cheek each week. Daryl joined me on the platform, but I appreciate Daryl coming back every week. It lets people know I'm almost to the end. The last, the last of the women in the scripture to just mention to you, the Bible says there was a daughter of Abraham. You mean, can daughters of Abraham be bound? She had been struggling with something for 18 years. A devil had worked in her life for 18 years until a man came in her life, the man. And immediately she was made right and set free. Perhaps on a, on a, it was the Sabbath day for them, the Sunday for us, on a day akin to ours. That's just who he is, church family. That's who he is. That's the love that he has for you. So on Mother's Day, my conclusion, it says this. It's a day that I personally, as your pastor, chose to honor women. Not just mothers, but women. Strong, vibrant, healthy women. We have a church full of them. We do, and I'm telling you, they set the bar high. And their faith is in God, and they are the Hannahs of this world. They call on the name of the Lord and believe God for miracles. 
but also equally as valuable to our fellowship and equally as valuable in the eyes of God. Today, I want to honor the broken and the hurting and the hallowed women as well. They're the hope, the women that may be having a hurt in their heart today. So to all the special ladies, I want to say it one more time. You need a man in your life. That's the word God put in my heart. You need a man in your life. But I'm not talking about somebody on the seat beside you or somebody that might walk you to your car. I'm talking about one that gave up everything for you. That's the one I'm talking about today. That's the man that you need in your life. you got to come to him. You've got to come to him. You've got to draw near to him. You've got to take his yoke upon you. I love what Ruth said to Boaz. She said, spread your... I shouldn't, it's odd. She said, spread your skirt over me. I know in our generation that sounds a little odd. But she was simply saying, I'm submitting myself to you. I'm humbling myself. I'm here. Put your covering over me. That's what she was saying. Put your covering over me. Listen, just walking through the doors on Mother's Day is not enough. Are y'all hearing me today? It's not enough. You got to come to Him. You got to come to Him. He knows everything. You got to be transparent before Him and say, Lord, here I am. Take it all. Take it all. Not part of it. Don't retain any of it. Did you know the Bible says you're to cast all your care over upon Him because He cares for you? I honestly believe in my heart that God's perfect will for your life is for you to be redeemed forgiven of your sins you can, you can be the victim and still sin I didn't say you caused yourself to be victimized but as the result of somebody hurting and harming you sin can emerge in your life and you need to repent of your sin you need to be transparent and say God here I am I, I've sinned and I need your forgiveness but don't, start, don't stop right there. He didn't just forgive you. He came to redeem you. He came to restore you. When I read the book of Naomi, or excuse me, the book of Ruth, the testimony of Naomi, the beauty of the story is that Naomi was restored. Everything that had been lost was regained. And she gained an inheritance, or an, a heritage of faith. Some of you know this, others do not, but that offspring that was born to Ruth was named Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who wrote the psalm, Psalm 118. I wonder if he wrote the psalm, the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever, because he remembered the testimony of his great-grandmother, who said, I was broken and wounded, and I thought God didn't love me anymore. But when that man came into my life, I realized God still cared for me. And I want you to know today that can be your testimony today. Hearts can be healed. Lives can be restored. Generations of brokenness can be replaced by generations of blessing. Today, I believe that our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. In a moment of time, we're going to do what we've done for many years now. We're going to present a small gift of this carnation.
I'll take a moment to talk to you about that in a moment, but that's not what doesn't begin there. It's right here. Maybe everything that's been said today has been said to bring you to this moment right here where you would come to him, where you would come to him, where you would come to him, you'd come to him, hurting, wounded. I mean, you've gotten therapy, you've read books, you've taken medicine, but there's still some, it's still there. Jesus, it's Jesus. We're going to put our faith in him. We're not going to devalue therapy. We're not going to devalue counseling. We're not going to devalue medicines. We don't do any of those things. But I'm telling you, they have limitations. All of the above, those have limitations. He has no limit. He's not limited in any capacity. His grace, his mercy. You say, Pastor, explain that. I can't. I can't explain it. It's beyond my ability to fully fathom it. It's that wonderful. His loving kindness endures for all generations. It's for you too. He will make all things lovely in your life. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that the God of all grace will make all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, even those that have endured much sorrow and grief. That's just how good he is. But you got to come to him. Ma'am, is there anybody here today that first, I just want to, I'm speaking to the ladies today. Have you come to him? You said, Pastor, I've come to church. Is that good enough? It's not good enough. Pastor, I've talked to God. Is that what you're talking about? No, no. Have you come to Jesus? That's the question that's on my heart for you today. Have you come to Jesus? There are ladies all under the sound of my voice that they know exactly what I'm talking about. If they could, they would look you in the eye right now and say, ma'am, you got to go to Jesus. Sister, you got to go to Jesus. Have you come to Jesus? Is there anybody here today that says, Pastor, for the, maybe, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time, I've got to come to Jesus. Remember what's what the, when, when the woman at the well ran, we read it on the scripture, she said, come, come. See a man that told me everything that I did. This has to be the Messiah. That's all I'm doing to you today. I'm saying, come, come. Are you here today? Raise your hand if you are. If you want Pastor Brown to pray with you. I see a hand right there, a young lady. Anyone else today? Thank you. Is there anyone else today? I'm praying. We're praying today. We're praying. Secondly today, who will be very transparent and honest with me today? I'm not going, this is very delicate. I have to be delicate because... I don't want to, I don't want, if there may be some things you're not ready to expose just yet to people. You'll expose them to Jesus, but you won't expose it to, to others just yet. I understand, I'm going to respect that. But in order for me to feel like that I truly heard from God, I need to see somebody raise a hand on this right here. If you're here and you say, Pastor, there are hurts and sorrows that I've been struggling with for many long years and pastor right where i am would you pray for me today would you pray for me i've been wounded i thank you i see some hands going the courage i didn't even ask her hands are going up all across the room today ladies that are saying pastor people don't even know i i can't even tell i can't tell you the things that i've i've endured the sorrow the thoughts that have come to my mind so matter of fact the lord there's somebody here today that's been suicidal even recently I don't usually say things like that, but it just quickened in my spirit right then because the trauma has been so great. 
please let me tell you right now, don't, do not in any capacity harm yourself. God loves you through Christ. You got to come to him. You got to come to him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, every part of you. You can't hold anything back. You can't keep anything back. You got you to go to, totally to him. Hands went up all across this room before we ask anybody to move. Now, church family, this is a very sacred moment right now. And I know some of you are probably looking at your watch and saying, man, our pastor's taking a long time. I understand. But everything was, was to bring me to this moment right here so that I could pray the prayer of faith over the ladies that raised their hand. They weren't comfortable enough to come forward. They, they identified that. I understand that there's some things that's just between you and God. Come on. But I want to be able to pray a prayer of faith over you right now. So I want to ask every man and every woman, every young adult here in the sound of my voice, to get as sincere as you have ever been in your life, knowing that there is a sister, a secret sister in this sanctuary today who exposed to no one else but to Pastor Brown by the upraised hand that there's been trauma, there's hurt, and there are wounds. And they can get it all fixed up on a great day like Mother's Day and smile and they can take the carnation, and they can let you take them out to eat and all that, but that trauma, that pain, it's still been there. But I'm going to believe you're on the road to redemption. <laughs> I'm going to believe now that the Boaz, now that you've connected to that spiritual Boaz, now that you have begun by faith to begin to say, you know what, but God's going to turn this thing around. God's going to take it away. I want to begin to pray over you right now. I've had family members, my, my own children, call and say, Dad, would you pray over me? And as a father, I was able to pray. I've had, I, have, I have ladies of our church that have called me in the past and said, Pastor Brown, would you pray over me? And that's what I want to do for you right now today in the name of Jesus. God, I want to be a mediator today in this house, a pastor, a shepherd, to say, God, that of the hands that went up, I don't know the testimony of all. I don't know the secret trauma, the pain. I don't know whether there have been those that were sexually abused or have been hurt or violently offended, but you know today, God. You know every depth. You know everything that has left them wounded and scarred. And God, I pray that just that simple revelation begins the journey. God knows. God knows. God knew. When Naomi thought it was all about God's anger, God knew of the trauma, and he was manipulating the situation to bring her back to the fullness of his blessing. Today, God, I pray over the men and the women. I pray, but especially for the ladies that raise their hand under the sound of my voice. I pray with all the faith. God, if you can give me faith right now, I receive it. Ladies that raise your hand, please receive this by faith. In Jesus' name, I bless you. I bless you. I speak life over you. Like Boaz said to Ruth, may the God under whose wings you've come to trust, may he bless you. May he take away your sorrow and your trauma. May he heal your heart that's wounded. May he give you joy. May he give you beauty for ashes, the spirit of joy. May you in your life begin to move beyond to a new season. I omitted a word, a verse in that book. It says that Naomi and Ruth came back to Bethlehem at the beginning of harvest. Did you know this could be the beginning of your harvest today? 
You've harvested hurt, pain, and sorrow, but God said, God said, this is the beginning. God set you up today. He manipulated your path, and by chance, in your mind, you found yourself at Hebrew First Assembly today where you would be confronted with a message that could have very easily been titled, A Wounded Woman, but it was you need a man in your life because it was not any man. It was the man, the man Christ Jesus. His healing virtue is over you today. I speak life over you. I speak blessing. I speak the glory of God. I speak the goodness of God. I speak faith and patience into you. I speak over you the ability to forgive those who have hurt you. Come on now. Some of the ladies are identifying with me right there. There are ladies, some of the, the things that you've been struggling with is because you haven't found the virtue to forgive as of yet. And so, God, I'm praying over them today right now that in private they're going to learn, they're going to gain the strength to begin to forgive. And as they begin to walk in that forgiveness, healing's going to commence. Father, I read in your word, Father, that you are the healing balm of Gilead. There's balm and salve in your hands. And, Father God, I pray, Lord, over every lady today, whatever measure of faith. I lack the words. I can't adequately address every situation. Time would fail us if I tried to say this or that or this or that. But, God, just in, let the cup run over. That's my prayer. Let the cup run over. Let the blessing be so real that it flows and it covers even the unknown areas, the areas of brokenness that we've had in our life. Let patterns of life change. Habits change. Expectations change. Let them walk as daughters of Abraham. Father God, and today, not for what they've done, but for who they are, we give them honor. And I honor them today. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's children said amen and amen.